0: edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. Apologies if you hear any fireworks in the background. I'm recording this around bonfire night and people are just idiots and have no respect for law podcasting. So the case that we're going to be looking at this week is the Christian Institute and the Lord Advocate. And this is a Scottish case, but it was heard before the UK Supreme Court and it has the citation 2016 UKSC 51. This case in particular involves a policy by the Scottish Government that first came about through the Children and Young People Scotland Act 2014, and this is an act of the Scottish Parliament, which is an important point we'll come to later. The policy itself is called the Named Person Scheme, or NPS for short, and it's proved to be rather controversial in Scotland. Now, there are some advantages to it that we'll go through, and these include that it allows early intervention by the relevant authorities when a child's welfare is at risk. Furthermore, it also allows for greater coordination between government bodies involved in the well-being of all young people. However, there are some problems or some criticisms that have been made of the NPS as well, and this is that all children will be assigned a named person. And this basically means that intervention could occur where it wasn't wanted by the parents and perfectly legitimate parenting techniques could be called into question. A lot of people are seeing this as an example of an overbearing government. One of the other cons, and this is the key issue in this case, is some of the data protection issues that surround this area. In particular, the data protection issues concern part four of the 2014 Act And this is being challenged in this case by way of judicial review brought by the Christian Institute, who are particularly critical of the policy. And the judicial review is being brought on three different grounds. Firstly, it relates to a matter reserved to the UK Parliament. So this is again coming back to the fact that this is an act of the Scottish Parliament and the argument being that the Scottish Parliament do not have the legislative competency to make this piece of legislation. Secondly, the argument is that it's incompatible with Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which is the right to a private and family life. And thirdly, it's incompatible with EU law. So we'll go through each of these three grounds in turn and examine them and see what the Supreme Court eventually decided. So firstly, is this a reserved matter for the UK Parliament? Well, when we're considering this, the first point to remember is that the Data Protection Act 1998 and Council Directive 95-46-EC, which is the key European directive on this question, are both reserved matters. So these are things that can only be legislated upon by the UK government. However, the question here about whether Part 4 of the Children and Young People Scotland Act 2014 relates to a reserve matter is actually determined by the purpose of the provision. And so in this case, it's clear that the purpose of the entire piece of legislation, not just Part 4, is to help and support the well-being of children and young people. Although there are data protection issues involved, this is not the purpose of the legislation, and so on the basis of this first round, the challenge must fail. However, the second round, on the basis of Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, is perhaps more successful and goes into a little bit more detail. In particular, we can split this Article 8 challenge into two. Firstly, the legislation itself has to be in accordance with the law, And secondly, it would also have to be proportionality. and These were the two issues that the court considered during the case. Now, in accordance with the law is another way of saying, is the legislation itself clear and is it more importantly, precise enough? Now, as it stands, the relevant act, and in particular part four, is rather confusing and not very precise at all. This is quite concerning because personal and sensitive information about children, including about things such as their sexual and mental health, could be shared between authorities in a rather arbitrary fashion without children or their parents ever necessarily finding out. And so without clear and precise guidance on this question, the challenge to the legislation was successful on this particular ground. We will go on to consider the other grounds of challenge, though, and the other issue that came up in relation to Article 8 of the Convention was the question of proportionality. And the first thing we have to do here is to consider whether the legislation itself had a legitimate aim and then whether the policy itself was a reasonable means or a proportional means of achieving that legitimate aim. So the court in this instance said that the legislation did have a legitimate aim of protecting children and young people, as we talked about in relation to the first ground. Furthermore, part four is a reasonable means of achieving that aim within the context of Article 8. If you're trying to protect children and young people, it makes sense that there are going to have to be some elements of data that are collected about these particular children. If you're going to set out to protect children and young people, it makes complete sense and is completely proportional to collect data and information about these young people. Nevertheless, even though the Scottish Government did win, if you like, on this particular issue, the court did note a couple of areas of concern. Firstly, when they're implementing the policy, the Scottish Government does have to emphasise that any advice or recommendation that is given to parents is completely voluntary. It's important that parents don't get the impression that if they fail to follow the advice that's given to them, then their children could be taken away or something like that. It's important that parents understand that they aren't being forced to take the advice of the government bodies. Secondly, and I think that this is perhaps the most important in relation to the data protection issues, is that much clearer guidance is to be needed on data sharing between authorities. We've already talked about how this challenge failed because of the potential for arbitrary sharing of data between the relevant government bodies, and so it's of great importance from a general human rights outlook that this is governed in a responsible way. We can deal with the final ground of argument, EU law, very simply. The Supreme Court simply said that there is no incompatibility in relation to EU law beyond that which they've already expressed in relation to the European Convention on Human Rights. So on the basis of the human rights ground, the Christian Institute was successful in challenging this piece of legislation, in particular in relation to whether the law was clear and precise. As we mentioned, the Supreme Court eventually found that this Part 4 of the 2014 Act was not drafted in such a way as to be regarded as sufficiently clear and precise for the purposes of sharing data. The Christian Institute and the other parents and charities that were involved in the case heralded this as a huge victory for themselves. But I think they ought to be careful about celebrating too early. They did fail on the majority of grounds, and it was only the fact that they got through on one ground that meant that they were successful in terms of the overall judgment handed down in the case. Furthermore, this was by no means a damning indictment of the policy by the Supreme Court. All they're really saying is that the law itself has to be much more clear and precise, if it is going to be applied. There has to be a clear regime for data sharing between public bodies. If the Scottish Government had drafted the legislation in such a way as to allow for this clear data sharing, then there would never have been a problem per se. It's certainly more than possible that the Scottish government will now take the opportunity to go away, read through the judgment in more detail, and draft up a piece of secondary or even primary legislation within the Scottish government to ensure that the data protection regime is as clear and precise as the Supreme Court would want it to be. At this point, the named person scheme would be free to go ahead as planned. I think that this is a great case to look at for students who are not only studying human rights law, but also having a look at constitutional law as well. From a human rights perspective, the Supreme Court clearly goes through the elements required when looking at Article 8 or any other human right that refers to proportionality. From a constitutional perspective, it's not only interesting to see the relationship between the Scottish Government and the UK Parliament in terms of the reserved matters and how that works, but also in terms of judicial review as a wider whole. We can see here that even though the Supreme Court is looking at a policy which is certainly controversial in terms of a political sense, the Supreme Court was keen to approach this with a wholly legal eye. The criticism that the Supreme Court gave the Scottish Government was not based on the policy or the merits of the political aims itself, But rather from a purely legal perspective of if you are going to have this policy, then it has to conform with the reserved powers doctrine, as well as the European Convention on Human Rights as well. Furthermore, if this policy is going to be drafted within legislation, then you have an obligation to make that legislation as clear and precise as possible so that people can understand it and that local authorities will not abuse their power that they have in relation to data protection. It's very easy in judicial review cases to get carried away with the idea that something is irrational, when in reality from a purely legal perspective it simply isn't. The courts have an obligation to observe these policies with a purely legal stance, and this is a very good example of them doing so. Well, that's all from me this week. Thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the music for this podcast. Also remember you can find me on Twitter, I'm at Marcus Cleaver, and also on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Marcus Cleaver. If you have the time, then leave a rating and a review on iTunes for this podcast. It really helps us get discovered. But the only thing left for me to say now is thank you very much for listening, and I'll speak to you again next week. Bye!